we read just a bit this evening from the uh, New Testament book of 1 John, we'll be reading from chapter 1 and from chapter 3 and from chapter 5. Uh, 1 John chapter 1, uh, beginning at verse number 5. And John says, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And keep reading down to chapter 2. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. And now from here, turn to the fifth chapter, the last chapter of this book, and we read just one verse, five and verse number 13. John says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. And now just one more from the same book, chapter 3. We begin reading at verse number 18. My little children... Let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this, we know that we are, the, we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. John, at the beginning of the book, at the end of the book, and in the middle of the book, reminds us of something that, uh, quite frankly, many of us never have really gotten our hands or minds around. This idea that as Christians, we need not live every day in constant fear and doubt and trepidation about our own salvation and our own hope of heaven. If anybody in this world should have faith and hope, it's the Christian who has read for years, like so many of us have, passages like these and so many others that remind us that what we have in Christ is not just a maybe, it's not just a perhaps, it's not just a wish or a dream, it's a true hope based upon evidence and God's promise to us, promise which he will keep because God cannot lie, as the Bible tells us. And so in the first chapter, John makes it very clear that God is light 
And, uh, of course, he has no need of coming back to light. He is light itself. And as long as we walk in the light, we have fellowship with him. But then he makes it very clear that having said that, all of us in Christ are not going to be absolutely perfect day by day in everything we do and say and think. If you think by some means, by some manner, you can get through any length of time without committing a single act of sin, you are, and these are John's words, not mine, you're deceiving yourself. And also you're making God a liar because he said otherwise. Who will you believe, your own mind or the God of heaven? And so, yes, all of us in Christ are out still from time to time and more often than not inadvertently or sometimes uh, on purpose. We think things and we say things and we do things that we know we shouldn't and leave undone those things that we know we should be engaged in. And that's the very definition of sin, missing the mark of God's will for us. A transgression of the law God has given. But the wonderful news that John gives us in chapter 1 is that those of us who are Christians, who have had our sins washed away by Christ's blood in the waters of baptism, as we sin, we have a wonderful, continual cleansing from that sin based upon something, of course, based upon our still doing our best to walk in his light, and also a constant confession of our own sinful selves. And now, I'll just uh, let you know that you dig a bit into the text here, and uh, these uh, sins we're confessing are not so much specific sins, although that's wonderful when we're able to know them. We should confess them as we know about them. But this is confessing of sins in a general sense, much like the man in Luke 18 who smote upon his breast and prayed, Father, have mercy on me, a sinner. We confess we constantly have need of cleansing, that we're far short of the mark in our own performance, by our own behavior, every single day, and ask the Lord to forgive us. And the promise is, as long as we are doing that, now, it sounds like I'm making this up, but this is exactly what John says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I know you may be thinking like I am, that sounds almost too good to be true. Now, before I say one thing next, just put a large parenthesis here and realize we're not talking about some impossibility of falling or failing or turning back. God does not force us to be his children, and he doesn't keep us against our will as his children. We have a choice to leave if we so choose. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking instead about us doing our very best to live according to what God has said, and yet failing and continuing to enjoy the same cleansing day by day as we enjoyed when our sins were washed away in baptism. 
And that is one of the whole points of this book. John says so in the fifth chapter, as we saw a moment ago. We might be asking, John, why are you writing this, this narrative here? Here you are almost to pass away. He's an old man. It seems like he's outlived all the other apostles. It's toward the end of the first century A.D. And here he's writing. And John, why are you spending the time to write this book? I write these things that you may believe. And that you may know. Not just dream or wish or think about. But know that you have eternal life. Now you have a problem with that. Don't bring it to me. Bring it to John. And since he's inspired, you can bring it to God. But if you'd like to do that, that's what the third chapter's about that we read beginning in verse 18. An interesting passage we don't deal with very often. It, it paints an interesting picture, uh, saying that there's a difference in just saying and doing. We've got to love not just in what we say, but in what we do. And by this we know that we are the truth in that we are living up to what we're saying as best we can. We're both saying and doing the truth as best we can. But in that case, what if the heart condemns us? What does that mean? Well, the heart basically does two things scripturally. It, it, it feels or it reasons or thinks. And this is more toward the idea of feeling, I believe. Your heart condemns you. It's kind of like, like perhaps you're thinking right now, this academically sounds like it might be true, but I just don't feel that way. And I say, well, you need to believe that you can sing with all of your heart, with all of your gusto, with all of your being, a song like Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. You can sing that and mean it. And you say, I, I can sing it, but I just don't feel that way. I don't feel like I'm forgiven. I don't feel like I'm worth forgiving. I don't feel like I'm good enough. I don't feel like... And I'll remind you of what John says in chapter 3. If your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. And two words are found in that third chapter. The word assurance and the word confidence, both of which are foundation ideas to the whole concept we're talking about this evening from 1 John. Where does the assurance come from? What brings the confidence we have? It's not our heart. Our heart can be right, and if that's the case, we have the confidence. But if our heart is not right in terms of our feelings... God trumps your heart. And when you say, well, I just don't feel like I am saved. When you've done what the Lord expects you to do. Uh, you're not speaking against your own heart or your own performance. You're talking against God's credibility. Because he's promised he will. His, his word is on the line, as it were. If you say, God, I know you told me that you'll cleanse me from my sins day by day as I do my best to walk in the light and confess my sins to you. You tell me my sins are cleansed day by day like that, but I don't feel that way. And in so saying, you're not questioning so much yourself 
as you're questioning the God who promised that. And remember the words from the first chapter? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Are you saying God's not faithful? He said he was. You're saying he's not just in his decisions? He claims to be. And what do this do these words of faithfulness and justice bring about in the words of 1 John chapter 1? A forgiveness of sins and a cleansing us of sin so that we're not found in unrighteousness but in righteousness. A righteousness Christ provides for us. Now, to make this perhaps slightly simpler, you get in the, uh, the terrain, the... Uh, landscape of Christianity and daily Christian life, and sometimes we get mired down into it. Imagine for just a moment a different situation. Imagine someone who has learned the gospel. They're not a Christian yet, and they've understood what the scriptures teach, that they are lost, and that Christ came and died for them and and based upon what he's done for them in the cross, they believe that, yes, he is God's son. They determine, I'm going to turn my life around. I'm repenting of my sins. I'm willing to confess my faith in Christ before others, as the Bible teaches, and I'll be baptized there to have my sins washed away by Christ's blood. And this friend of yours uh, learns that and, and acts upon that knowledge. Your friend does that. And you are happy to witness them going down into the water as an unsaved person with sins and coming up forgiven of God, completely cleansed of their sins. And so they dry off and they come out and you talk to them and, and you say, let's go out and get a cup of coffee. Well, well, sure, we'll do that and let's celebrate the wonderful thing that's just happened. And you sit around the table from them having a cup of coffee and they say, you know what? And you say, well, what? I was baptized. Well, yes, I was there. I saw it. It was a wonderful thing. We've been praying for that for a long time. So happy that you did that. And they tell you, I just don't feel forgiven. Well, did you, did you mean what you did? Well, yes, I did. Did you truly believe in Christ? Yes, I did. Did you truly have a sense and a heart and a determination to change? Well, yes, I do. Well, I saw your baptism. You did what the Lord taught. But they said, I know all of that. And I believe all of that. But I don't feel like I, I just, I still don't feel like I'm saved. Now, what would you tell them? I know what you'd tell them. You'd tell them, the Bible's true. Hopefully in time your heart will catch up. But you've done what the scriptures teach. You've done what the Bible says you need to do. You've got to trust God to do what he said he would do for you. After all, this, these are lesser frequented passages we just read, but one that most of us know from heart is Mark 16, verse 16. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. That's not just a command, it's, it's a promise. The person that 
truly believes and based upon that faith is baptized in the biblical way. Their sins are washed away. They're saved. Jesus taught that. God promises that. And this person that I'm talking about, this hypothetical friend of yours that was baptized, you might bring that passage to their mind and say, do you trust God or not? He says right here, when you do what you've just done, that he'll save you. And hopefully your friend would say, you know what, you got a point there. God's right. My heart's wrong. <laughs> I need to believe what God said. Well, that's the same thing that John is trying to tell us as Christians. Because the same assurance that new child of God has in coming up from the waters of baptism cleansed is the same assurance we have day by day by day as his people. And we can be just as assured of our own situation day by day as that new Christian is when he first comes up from the water. Because that's exactly what John promises. And remember, that these aren't John's words. This is the words of heaven through John. This is God speaking. These are God's promises. And you might be thinking, well, that sounds awful braggadocious that we can stand before God with that kind of arrogance and say, I'm saved. Well, no, it's not about us. We're never saved based upon our own efforts. We never pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. All we're doing is trusting God to keep his promise. Uh, that's why in a Hebrews chapter 4, at the end of that chapter, the writer can say that we can come boldly before the throne. Well, that boldness is not a boldness of arrogance. It's a boldness of trust with the anchor of the soul giving us a sure and firm mooring in this world to believe what God has said and trust that is true. And we can come before God with that kind of boldness, that kind of assurance, that kind of confidence. Now, having said all that, I know that all of us are, are humans and I'm right there with you. And I too sometimes have my heart say, I just don't, I don't feel like I, I'm deserving. Well, no, I'm not. And I don't feel like I'm good enough. Well, absolutely, I, I'm not. Uh, but I have to say God is greater than my heart. And if I keep reading and studying and believing and hoping and basing my, my mindset on what God says and less upon what I think, less upon my own heart, I'll find that in time, my heart will catch up. I appreciate the fact that we can sing a song like Blessed Assurance. And I know it's not on the list for this evening, but after this sermon's over, uh, before we close, I'd like for Gil to lead Blessed Assurance. And uh, I'd like us to sing it with a measure of gusto, as if we really believe it. Uh, I've told this to some before, but it's the, it's the truth. Uh, I was uh, privileged to, to perform the, the funeral services for both my grandfather and my grandmother on my, on my father's side. And as the family came in, they were singing Blessed Assurance. And I was privileged to be able to do the service for my mother. And as the family came in, we sang Blessed Assurance. And as uh, 
my father had his service that I conducted a few years ago as the family came in. We sang Blessed Assurance. And one day, uh, perhaps soon or later, when I leave this life, I'd like the song Blessed Assurance to be sung. And not because it's a catchy tune. And not because we enjoy hearing it sung, but because of the message it gives. We need to have our hearts catch up to the truth the Bible teaches, the fact that we can have. We must have this one hope of our calling, as Paul puts it in Ephesians 4, uh, which the song refers to as blessed assurance. John teaches that. It's about time we started believing it ourselves. If you're here tonight not a Christian, there's a way to have this assurance. And as a Christian, you've chosen to go in the wrong direction. You need to come back and reclaim this wonderful assurance. But if you need to come this evening, don't put it off and come now. As together we stand and sing.